Good afternoon and welcome to the PNP Show, Parson and Pope, brought to you each week with a local chapter of NAACP, courtesy of BW Radio. How you doing today, Doc? Mr. Pope, I'm I am help. doing... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Fine, thank you. Good, good. We, uh, Dr. Parsons is on here with us, and so uh, he'll be visiting with us as we uh, interview this afternoon, and so uh, it's good to have you here. I know that you're awful busy and got a lot going on, and so... We're going to get in, get started into the interview. Will you give us a kind of give us your name, your you know, kind of your background, and some of the things that you do for our listening audience, and we'll go from there. Wait, wait, before we get started, we want the full biography. <laughs> if it takes you twenty minutes, <laughs> go ahead. It's yours. I am Dr. Barbara Desmond. I um, have been with the NAACP for, um, oh my God, most of my life. I um, had the honor of knowing um, persons who helped start the NAACP in the Baltimore, Maryland, and New York area. I've had the pleasure of being in the same room at the feet of um, persons such as the Mitchells, Congressman Perrin Mitchell, a dear friend of mine. Um, and Thurgood Marshall, others mm-hmm. like that, not to name drop, but <laughs> these persons have had an influence on me. Mm-hmm. I have been the assistant to the superintendent of Baltimore County Public Schools for Equity. I have belonged to numerous committees, etc. And also, one point, um, one significant point in my career is when the Maryland State Department of Education superintendent asked me to come on and work with them in establishing a committee, the goal of which was to ultimately lead to Maryland becoming outstanding in the country and education of minority students. We laid the groundwork while I was there, working with Elijah Cummings, Congressman Cummings, um, a great American hero, and Maryland eventually became number one in the nation in education. I could go on and on, but um, I think we have more important topics to discuss. But thank you for having me today. I have a bit of a cold, but I'm still with you. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. We appreciate you taking time to visit with us this afternoon. One of the things that we wanted to talk about, you know, is uh, I kind of mentioned it to you earlier when we were visiting that, uh, you know, this uh, the way that they misconstrue or, or misinterpret what CRT means, and, uh, you know, I think they use it in my opinion, is a scare tactic rather than really uh, explain or define it like it should be. And so talk to us a little bit about that, if you would, please. You, you are exactly right. Um, they're using CRT, uh, as we use the term, as we abbreviate it, is really critical race theory. Right. <laughs> and people use the threat that it's hanging over the education of students in elementary schools, etc. Um, that's just an excuse. Um, to avoid teaching quite often topics that are important about and to African Americans. A critical race theory, just briefly, began in discussions at universities, basically among law students and their professors, etc. Um, it started as an intellectual exercise. To me, discussing critical race theory is like discussing Einstein's theory of relativity. It's just that it's a theory. Most people will never encounter it in their lives, um, that the theory come to reality, as people are projecting it. Critical race theory poses 
basically that race and discrimination based on race are so deeply entrenched in American culture mm. that we cannot separate it and that it still drives relationships and the treatment of African Americans among other minorities today. Mm-hmm. Well, that treatment and the separation of the groups that does exist today, but it's not necessarily a theory that predicts that this is the absolute condition that we have to maintain and that we're trapped in. I find that the danger is not in critical race theory on its own. It's just because it's just that. It's a theory. It's a theory. The harm is that many, for their own purposes, have used it as a label or a brand to discourage efforts to teach black history or the black experience, Mm -hmm. including how we've succeeded, how we have struggled. Basically, some people use mislabeling the teaching about the black experience in America as CRT. They also qualified as divisive, but they do this only to cause division. Mm -hmm. CRT really argues that racial discrimination and resulting inequity are in the fabric, the DNA of our society and interactions. Some may believe that, some may not believe that. Some people can intellectually adopt a theory, some can reject it. After all, when we look at America, we have to take pride in the fact that besides the Native Americans, Mm. we, black people, are the only other group that can trace our residence in this country. Not let alone the fact that we helped build this country, we can trace our residents back the longest. Essentially, ironically, where people try to use this to separate us, black people are indeed part of the DNA of America. Mm-hmm. So, well, so much for critical race theory being used as an excuse not to teach about black people. To, um, and I think that it's shameful that it's come about like that. Maybe it, it belongs in the schools where people can address it at that certain intellectual level. But then to use it and just use it to paste on everything that people are displeased about teaching about our blackness and our black experience, I think that's totally disingenuous and harmful. Mm-hmm. That's my only comment about critical race theory. Well, I agree with you. That's a very good definition. Uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk about, too, was the fact that based on that, I think, and the misinformation of that, uh, is we see uh, them talking about changing the curriculum where they're not going to teach certain things in schools and uh, using that as an excuse. What do you think about that? If we're talking about the black experience, mm. um, and, and that, that is the core of the issue, then I think that it is time. You have to remember, if I, if I can recall at my age, having met people um, like and talked to them and been in the presence of people like Thurgood Marshall, mm-hmm. um, I picked up some rather rambunctious ways of approaching. <laughs> I, will, I will not take a back seat. Um, to anyone. As a matter of fact, um, I often brag to people, they say, you know, um, how much do you remember? I said, I was at the March on Washington. Mm -hmm. True, I was so far back that I couldn't see anybody. Um, (laughs) I said, but I I take pride in the fact that I was there as as a child, a young teen. Mm -hmm. And 
No, I think that we have to, the struggle is not over. What's happening is that I think we have separated and many have lost, have not lost, but left the struggle. Mm-hmm. We have, I think that mm. right now, haves and have nots, we are falling into those categories. And I think that as a race, still caught up in trying to establish ourselves, in this, and it's a shame that we have to be in this condition, we cannot afford to divide ourselves into these class groups. Well, I, have... I think what's happening among the young people, um, I, I find it absolutely tragic. I thought we would leave things better, my generation, mm-hmm. what we fought for in the 50s and the 60s, mm-hmm. what I see now mm-hmm. happening, and basically associated with education quite often, yeah. I find traumatic, yeah. and I, I regret it deeply. Well, here, here's my question to you, and maybe I'm thinking wrong about this. What is America afraid of? Why can we not talk about race and issues centering around race without it becoming hyperbole? Is that making any sense to you? I, you know, there, there are various, and there are various sociological and psychological reasons. And if I have to cough, I'm going to stop. Just a second. <coughs> um, there are various reasons for that. What I would look at, and I'll use as an example, Um, no one wants to be on the bottom. And sometimes it makes people feel better um, to be, uh, to to have someone around them or near them who is, who they can look at as less than. Look at, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I found that in a certain area when I was asked to come and investigate um, some problems among race. Um, among the different races, um, white and blacks, in really a poor community. And what we discovered, we we had people driving through the community um, in trucks, some of the whites were driving in trucks with Confederate flags. And they would drive through the parts of the community that had been recently settled by blacks. Mm -hmm. So we were going, people were saying, no, well, these people were born just pure racist, and this is what's driving them. Well, due to our investigation, what we found is that they had been there first. They had established their community. They, had, they really took, proud, took, took, took pride in the fact, they were proud of the fact that this was their piece of America. Then when another group moves in, mm-hmm. they looked on them as invaders. And they did not, even though they were poor, and the other group moving in was in the same situation, they looked on them as marauders. <laughs> they were there to disrupt the society that they had, or the sub-society that they had established. It gets to be difficult when you start looking at situations like that. And as I said before, it's sort of based on class. Um, I know right now in suburban, we're on the East Coast, when you look at the suburbs, um, we thought in the suburbs for years that, well, crime is going to stay in the city. But I tell people quite often how if you have nothing, 
why are you going to rob your neighbor who has less? Mm-hmm. Right. So now yeah. everybody's in a panic because now across this country, crime has come to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But it was already there already waiting there. to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Dr. Danzania kind of thought heard something that kind of compared uh, the the racial crisis that and that's what I my terminology for the division we see in our country right now and that is that uh, to compare it well they said you know that after reconstruction well they had we had Jim Crow appear and then they said later on now what we're modern day uh, what we're experiencing this modern day is the fact that Obama was elected president and then as a result of his presidency now we're seeing this ultra conservative uh, atmosphere appear again and they said that's kind of a they kind of correlate that with what happened after reconstruction what's your feeling on something like that when you look at a person and i think that's where some in society um can't you know you have to tell them get over it um you have a black man who rose to the height of power not only in this country but in this world globally mm-hmm. and that too many represented in itself a danger, mm-hmm. who wanted to keep us compartmentalized and categorized as the underclass, as the underrace. Mm-hmm. So therefore, um, that did, I don't know that it, it brought back Jim Crow altogether, but it did bring back many of those feelings that uh, people use to excuse Jim Crow practices. And some of us, I have to say to myself, you know, coming, coming from an era around in the 60s and the 50s and the 60s. I'm not going to go any further back there because we'll get my birthday. But, um, um, many of us were told by our leaders, there, there's a, that I'll never forget, her, her name it was Verda Welcome. She was one of the first black senators mm-hmm. in the Maryland legislature. Um, she would tell, she would pose an analogy. She would use the story of the, um, they were talking about the, the Equal Rights Bill, et cetera. And she would, and remember, this is Kennedy, this is Johnson. Mm-hmm. And she talked about the Pied Piper of Hamlin. If anybody would remember that. This is uh-huh. a story where the Pied Piper, it was a, it was a town that had rats. Mm-hmm. And the Pied Piper agreed with the people, I'll get rid of the rats, but you pay me. Mm-hmm. Well... The Pied Piper got rid of the rats. He piped them away with his little flute, and the people refused to pay him. Mm-hmm. So what he came back and did is he used the pipe, and he took all the children to a mountain, and it had, like, on the other side a candy land and all these toys, etc. just a beautiful land to which these kids had expi- aspired their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And the height of their aspirations... And the mountain opened, and all the children walked through, Mm -hmm. um, except one little boy. But we were told when I was young that this is going to happen. You're going to get that Civil Rights Act, but you all have to be prepared. You have to be educated. Because in this country, it's going to be like going through that mountain to Candyland, but you're only going to have a limited opportunity to get there because... Some people, like they did in Reconstruction, they are going to find a way to close that mountain and close those gates again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happened. Mm -hmm. And um, I fear 
that some of us who have moved on forgot where we came from. Mm. That's another aspect mm. of the problem. I'm not, I'm not, as you see, I'm not letting everybody get away with this. We mm. all have a responsibility in this. Absolutely. You know. Mm-hmm. What, what do we as, as uh, African Americans need to do to enhance what's going on? I mean, how do we, how can we get involved? Well, of course, as, as in the old days, we can demonstrate, we can, um, we, we can reject discrimination, and we can reject um, the fact that we are underserved and under pretreated as underprivileged. What we need to do is put many of our efforts into the education of our children. Mm-hmm. At one point in time, you might, the other doctor and you might remember, we were taught in school that we had to be the best, mm-hmm. and at mm-hmm. least we had to be better than, even to get equal treatment, yes. if so, if it were available to us. I find that what's happening now that's most dangerous to us is the lack of or miseducation of our children. Mm-hmm. And um, many school districts, I find, have forsaken the, the vision of our children as being as gifted and resilient as they are. And I say, thus, the consequences of not educating them are apparent with the increased crime. And not just crime, but what I'm seeing from many of our young people is rage. Mm-hmm. I think that um, sometimes, unlike Jim Crow, when there are certain conditions, some people who are not necessarily for us know that they mm-hmm. feel that they don't have to work against us. Mm-hmm. They just have to sit back because they've created conditions that will lead to, a, to, to our self-destruction. Mm. You know, it's that... like some people say, if you have an enemy um, and he's suicidal, um, don't kill him, just show him where the bridge is. Mm-hmm. I, have a, uh-huh. I, I have another question about that misinformation. Yes. What are we not doing? Are we not teaching the fundamentals? What, what is not being done to assist and help our black students? You have school systems now in this country that were not, as, as you look at it, were not invented, or um, only God creates, were not invented to teach black children. Mm. And even those that agreed to teach black children, historically, were only going to give them a certain level of education. Mm-hmm. For instance, when you walked into many schools, in the 60s and the 70s that were integrated even, um, what you would find if you wanted to see the black children, you would all see them in what you call your basic classes, (laughs) regardless (laughs) of where they came from. And so what I'm saying, and then we we have a culture that we we are trusting race. People don't look at, and that's a very positive, and I used to tell people that I, I wrote a pamphlet, well, really a booklet for Social Security um, years ago in the 80s, advising some of their um, staff on how to treat people when they entered, you know, how to differentiate how they approach people. We have a race that, and we talk about parental involvement. If you have a race of people who are working, people who um, sometimes have to hold two jobs, because of their socioeconomic status or the status in which they've been placed in this country. 
they sometimes get home at five. The children get home at three. The parents get home at 5. The parents have to eat quite often. They're tired. There's little time in that situation, I don't care what race they are, for these deeply intellectual discussions. Mm -hmm. And why, if I have, we come from a race, we haven't been equitably or fairly educated, why would you expect that I would, and this is the myth people say, well, the parents should be there doing more. Doing more of what? Helping with homework when the child is studying algebra? and you weren't that good in algebra. So we, as a race, our culture, we trust the institutions. We trust our preachers, we trust our schools, that we take them to the door and we say, you, here they are, educate them, and we trust that they're doing it. What we are finding out now more and more is that they aren't doing it, and that perhaps quite often we were in better situations when schools were segregated. Um, they, I think it is a reluctance and a resistance in American education in many schools across this country and school districts to change, to alter the way they do instruction sufficiently that they will educate black children effectively. Yeah, yeah. And I'm noticing even at the college level that we are offering more and more remedial courses when, in yes. fact, those students should have gotten that information in elementary or in high school. That's right. Um, there are, if you look, and here, here's a clear example. Many, much of the success in school, it used to be in the good old days, in algebra or math at the ninth grade level, was predicted by the child's um, progress at the third grade level. Mm -hmm. What they have discovered now is that. Um, it, third grade level performance in math can be used to predict how the child will succeed, period, in high school mm. at the ninth and 10th grade level. Mm -hmm. Well, we fail children. We even keep children back or we pass them on social promotion. Mm -hmm. Even though we know something went wrong in the third grade that made that child not pass math. Mm -hmm. What we don't know and they don't investigate is what exactly went wrong. I say sometimes people can learn more, doctors learn more about us in an emergency room than we learn about children after 12 years of education. Mm. Here's another thing. Regardless of how those children perform in school, one thing that I see quite often around the country, um, educational um, systems brag we graduate 86%. Well, I know in Maryland, for instance, we have schools where only 5% of the children demonstrate that they are proficient in math really? or language arts. Mm -hmm. But by bragging, we graduate 86%. That means among that 86% are many students who cannot read, write, or compute. But still, we pass them on and we graduate them. And but sooner or later, we are going to meet them. We are going to encounter them again. How important it is is it for us to get on, seek elected positions that have to do with education, like school boards and the various committees that deal with curriculum and that sort of thing? Yes, it's extremely important because we need people to speak for us in those positions. And you will find quite often that people 
this isn't fair, but this is the way it happens. This is reality. People listen to titles. Mm-hmm. People, you can stand at the door and, and beat down the door and with a sledgehammer, and they won't let you in. But I've found that um, if you just stand at the door and you say, I'm so-and-so, I am Dr. So-and-so, oh, right. I am Professor So-and-so or whatever, people, come on in. Come on in. Another thing that these people, by having representation on these boards, they should encourage us, one of the basic things they can do, investigate what they're being told, and then encourage us, the rest of us, to stop taking blame. Mm-hmm. To yes, stop no. being accused of failure and accepting it. Mm-hmm. When the failure is not due to us, the failure is not due to our children, um, it's due quite often to systems that refuse to change the way they teach children. And in addition to that, we need teachers that are sensitive to uh, the understanding of what race and racism means, particularly when it comes to our black students. Yes. Well, um, my when I do presentations, and I did one in Canada not too long ago, and one of my major slides with people, and I do believe this, you can't teach what you don't know, but it also said you can't teach who you don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not enough professional development or training about the cultures, exactly. about the people, even about the way that they learn give you one case in point. One of the basic, and this is, I would say, across the country in education, one way to help, if I had a panacea, a pill to change it, it would have people recognize the difference between field-dependent and field-independent children. Mm. Field-dependent children require more interaction with the teacher, mm-hmm. more class discussion, and different ways of looking at topics, taking the whole and looking at the parts, because that's the way they were raised. Mm-hmm. Remember, children learn how to learn before they come to school. That's right. And field independent children, they don't require that much help from the teacher. They are ready to work more on their own, and they want to interact with the materials that they have in front of them, with the book, mm. with the pen, with the paper. Um, black children shows that the study shows, research shows, are field dependent. Mm-hmm. They require that extra right. few minutes with the teacher. Yeah. What you will find in most schools, though, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. No. Because the schools, again, were not invented for black children. Quite often, they're still going according to that old structure where they are field independent and at a certain time, let's move on. Mm-hmm. And if the black child requires a little more, he's looked on as slow. slow. Mm-hmm. Not as just the way he's been trained and conditioned. He just needs a little more assistance. Mm-hmm. Or he needs more, not even assistance, he needs more interaction. Mm-hmm. to really acquire that knowledge and let it become a part of him. And that label, um, can, that label can affect them from grade one all the way to grade 12. Yes, it does. And that's why many systems, they resort to homogeneous grouping, what they call that, where they take kids and they categorize them, classify them according to what they call ability. I said the problem mm-hmm. is they really don't know the child's ability. 
because all we get is an interpretation of ability filtered through a lens that discriminates against the children anyway. Mm -hmm. I have another question for you. Uh, What are your thoughts about standardized testing of students across the board? Are they beneficial? Uh, What is the utility of having them from the first place? Can you talk a little bit about that? Put in, put in their place, you do have, um, there is a place for standardized. I, I hate to hear people um, talk about standardized testing. Well, let's get rid of standardized testing. You know, everything is always the problem except <laughs> what went on. Mm-hmm. They're looking at, um, you know, well, these children, they can't learn. It's because of their parents. It's because something was wrong with the test. Because, oh, they can't fill in the blanks on the circles on the standardized <laughs> test. Standardized tests are what you usually call, um, well, you don't, they, they are major summative assessments, meaning assessments at the end, that they test for the results. A child, I believe that they should put in their place, be put in their place. I don't believe like final exams should be 20 or 30% of a grade. I think that's a misuse of a test. But I do believe that they are used, summative tests or standardized tests are used as checks and balances, and they do reveal for all the students where they stand as far as their learning, Mm -hmm. how much knowledge they've acquired, how many skills they've acquired, where there is success, where there's deficiency, where there is mastery. However, they can't be used alone. There has to be a system of formative tests. Right meaning those are the little mm-hmm. tests and quizzes, et cetera, that the teachers do or that the school systems may have in between those standardized tests that come, you know, at the end of the year. Now, the odd thing is formative assessments can be standardized. But usually when people talk about standardized tests, they're talking about end-of-the-year exams or tests that mm-hmm. are given at either the state or district level. Right. Mm-hmm. But Standardized means that the test just went through certain metrics. Well, thank you, Dr. Danzen. I think both are important. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Danzen. The clock's telling us it's time to wrap this up. It was very good information, interesting information. Thank you for taking your time to visit with us this afternoon, and and we wish you the very best, and we uh, invite all those out there in Radio Land to tune in again next week, this time for the PNP Show. Thank you, and have a good afternoon.